Radio. I'm Weymer. I'm Lewis. I'm Steve. And it's about that time. You're listening to the Everyone But Us podcast, straight from the heart of London. So, hello everyone. What's happening? Welcome to another episode of the Everyone But Us podcast. Obviously still under lockdown here in the UK, but um, how you been doing, Steve? All right? Yeah, decent, mate. Yeah, I've, I've um, certainly feeling the benefit from abstaining from drinking for the last two months. Although, although recently I, I had a look at um, last night, I was just, you know, locked down, you got nothing to do and I was looking around. So where I live, I'm in St. Albans now, right? And this place is like, has got the reputation for having the most pubs. So I decided to have a look and see how many pubs I had within a 15 minute walk of my house. And it turned out to be 24. 24 so pubs? 24 pubs within 15 minutes walk of my house. August, I'm going to start drinking again. And I think August is going to be a very messy month for me. But are they, are they decent pubs though? That's the thing. Yeah, it's kind of a, it's kind of a, like a nice town up here, to be honest with you. You've probably got some nice bars and then you've got your proper Gary Lager pubs where everyone's just snorting like yeah. pub pub bash cocaine and that and walking, drinking, <laughs> drinking Carlin. Well, what about you, mate? I, as you've been working still, yeah? So I've been doing a lot of work in a woman's prison so for the past year. So I've just been working there. Outside of that, nothing much really. Just I've got a little studio at home so I'm up about doing my own little thing at home. Been watching a lot of football and stuff, but other than that, I'm just waiting to get out of there, bro. I'm just waiting to get out of there and live life again, man. Obviously, the end of the tunnel is, is is approaching, but just flick of a switch and they're all talking again about oh, we've got to go back into lockdowns. Hopefully, that never happens again. Oh god, don't. Are we allowed to talk about um, coming to America too, or should we? Or should we wait for our guests so you can ask? No, them? let's. Um, yeah, okay, we can ask them. <laughs> maybe they've seen it. Maybe they haven't. But you know what my views are on it. Like, but I'll, I'll, I'll hold. I'll wait <laughs> to the end. I'll wait to the end. <laughs> but anyway, let us introduce today's guests. Another band from America. Sorry to our UK people, but you're just not good enough. No, I'm only joking. <laughs> <laughs> no, I'm joking. Game up. Hello. Um, another band from America, of course. Uh, one of the biggest homes of, obviously, hardcore New York. Uh, this band started back in 1995. I hope I'm getting my dates correct. Um, very big in the beatdown, metallic, hardcore sort of like persuasion. I hope I'm getting everything that I'm saying correct and I don't get evils and shouted at. But um, for a lot of people, especially here on the EU and the UK, they're very influential. The sounds is like super, super, super heavy. Um, I saw them once back in, I was with, um, I'm not sure if you guys know Ammo, but me and my friend Ammo, we came out to, um, I think it was a Black and Blue Festival and we came to see Denied, Oh shit, I've just given the band's name away. But yeah, it. <laughs> <laughs> all suspense gone. <laughs> all suspense gone. You never heard that bit. But anyway, yeah, we went we went to um Black and Blue and um there was a, a a show during the week as well. Billy Club played a band called Pit Fight, who were extension, um, scam dust, and I saw Denied for the first time, and that's what I wanted to introduce. So Obviously, I've said it, and we're going to start it, but many thanks and welcome to Denied. Thank you. What's up, what's Thank up? Thank you so much. How are you guys doing? I'll start with Greg. How's how's life? Yeah, you know, it's okay. It's going good. I mean, with the lockdown, it sucks. Can't do anything. Just working, hanging with the kids and the wife, really, just doing that shit. Getting fat, getting bored. Nikki's <laughs> <laughs> oh, got me writing a lot of lyrics. Yeah, that's oh, it. Oh, absolutely. <laughs> And Melissa and Nick, how are you guys doing? Definitely same. We're working and we're all actually working from home. So we're trying not to kill each other. And it's been pretty good, pretty good, pretty productive. But uh, just 
trying to stay out of the public, you know, yeah. here in America, we have a very divided population of people who follow lockdown rules and people that don't. And so we try to stay away from everybody as best as we can. <laughs> yeah, yeah, <laughs> that is, that is the one thing in it. You got this, it's kind of split, isn't it? You got half a population who believe in it and want to, who believe it and want to make sure that, things go back to normal. Then there's another half who like kind of believe it, but they kind of don't and they just don't give a shit about it. So it must be very difficult, man. Everyone just wants to get back to normal ways, but it's very difficult to tell some people. Very frustrating. Yeah. Right. So I want to ask you all the beginnings of the bands, the roots, how you, you got into it, your early days or even before getting into hardcore. Uh, I grew up in Queens, you know, uh, middle-class neighborhood, nothing crazy, nothing too heavy, hard and stuff. Was was your family into a music musical background or anything, or is it just sort of like a straight up working? My father sung in the fifties, and and through like part of the sixties, and um, so I guess I, I guess I got music from him. Um, we used to listen to all the fifties records and stuff when we were driving around. Um, my sister is older than me; she's ten years older than me, so she was um, into new wave, and I remember hearing that from her bedroom. Uh, she introduced me to the Beastie Boys. Um, so my love of music just started going from there. Then I started DJing. So it just started progressing from, you know, new wave to rap and to metal and eventually down to hardcore. So it was a roundabout way. Um, was, as yeah. you mentioned that you said your dad was a singer. Was, what sort of music was he doing? It was like doo-wop. Oh, wow. So wow. Yeah, yeah, he was him and three other guys. Well, it's doo-wop like barbershop quartet sort of type uh, thing. Yeah, something like that. Yeah. Oh, that's, that's pretty cool, good. Man. I'm sure would have heard it. Oh, you never heard? Nah, you didn't have anything. Nothing recorded or anything. They just used to do nothing. Oh, oh we used to like the guys that used to sing around the trash can on fire. Yeah, yeah, like that. Yes. Like that. Yes. All the harmonies, <laughs> like, like Boys <laughs> to Men. It's like, yes. Oh, early boys to men. Yeah, there's, yeah. A, there's a famous scene like that in um, New Jack City where they're singing around yeah. the as well. Right? Yeah. yeah, and it's just going through how the area changed from being nice into a crack field neighborhood. Yeah, fire. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and um, Melissa and Nick, where did you guys grow up, and how did you get into um, this sort of into before you obviously got into the bands and that? I was never really into music when I was younger. Um, I grew up about a mile away from Greg, half a mile away from Greg in Queens, New York. Wasn't really into music um, until I was like a 13, 14 years old, got into Metallica, heard the uh, Injustice for All record and said, that's it. That's the record I'm going to, uh, I'm going to compare everything to. Um, so started playing guitar when I was 15 uh, and then drums when I was 19. Um, and then it went from there. Like I, I wasn't, wasn't really into um, a lot of different styles of music, but hardcore was like right away. Like heard, I heard Bulldoze and I was like, that's that's the band I want to play like. I want to be like those guys. Played all the, uh, I learned how to play drums by listening to Bulldoze records and just, just playing drums along with it. Um, that's kind of my introduction to, to music. Oh, damn. And if you saw Melissa? So I was always into music, always as a kid. I mean... As as young as four, I was into my um, Barry Manilow eight track tapes. <laughs> oh yeah, craziest <laughs> music. And then in the eighties, the year that I really got into music uh, was really like around the year that I, I met Nick and Greg, which was nineteen ninety four, and that was that was some year for music. And 
they didn't tell you. I'm surprised they didn't tell you, but they were both in a band together. Oh, okay. <laughs> oh, well, we'll get into that. We'll get yeah. into that. <laughs> and when, when I first met them, they uh, they had a band, and I, I got to see the birth of Greg as a singer. It was amazing, and it was great. They played. Uh, they played in the basement. They had a New Year's show, and I was like so impressed. So right after that, um, I definitely wanted to to play with them and so on. But by the time I met them, they were already into hardcore because I met Nick in 94. And before we even dated, he bought me a birthday gift of tickets to a show. And it was to see Biohazard and Typo Negative. Uh, <laughs> and I thought, oh, wow, I loved it. I loved it. And you grew up in Queens as well, did you mention? Yes, yes. So I grew up in uh, I grew up in in North Queens. They're from South Queens, and uh, so they're I'm more closer to the Jackson Heights. It's a northern part of Queens, but it's part where where DMS comes from. Oh, okay. That whole area and and so on. So I didn't I didn't know them until I met them until like college around college. Time. Oh wow. Yeah, Nick and I went to college together, and uh, and then Greg was uh, a friend of a friend, right? I knew Nikki from grade school. Oh, okay. All right. Are you guys still living in Queens or have you moved away from the area now? No, we, we're all living in Queens still. Oh, you're still yeah. holding it down. Yeah. That's the roots are here, man. Oh, I love yeah. that. Yeah, I mean. Yeah, that's it, man. I, I mean, obviously, I know um, work takes you places, family, different opportunities and stuff. I know there's a lot of the people from the, hardcore, the New York hardcore scene from yesteryear who, who don't live in a city anymore. They've moved to different places. But so, yeah. It's pretty cool to hear that you guys are still living in the Yeah, same. that's a good point. Yeah. Good point. It, you know, it's expensive to live here, but it's like London. You know? It's exactly the same, definitely. So, um, kick, kicking off from that, obviously, hearing a little bit about um, growing up and music taste and everything. So, Nick and Greg had a band that they started together. What was this band that you guys started? It's supposed to be like hardcore, but I, I don't know what, what it wound up to be. <laughs> now, I thought it was good. We We... we we never actually got to record anything. My I played guitar in that band, and my brother played drums in that band. Um, and we used to fight a lot. So um, we, I, yeah, I think we kicked him out, and I took over on drums, <laughs> and that, and that's how we got Melissa. I think we were a band for like a year, maybe. Yeah, something like that. Very short time. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And we we're like, no, we gotta, we gotta be better. Was little Greg in that band? Like Fiorentino, yeah. Yes. Yeah. yeah. Yes. Was it fast or was it slow beat down or was it you didn't know what you was doing? You was just firing ideas and seeing what stuck on the wall. I know I didn't know what I was doing because I had never sung, never did anything before except for DJ. So uh, uh, okay. Basically, Greg Fiorentino. I worked with him. He told me come down to this little jam session that they were doing in Nikki's mother's basement. Mm -hmm. I went down there and I was sabotaged. <laughs> Here's the mic, go sing. I'm like, sing what? I don't know what I'm doing. So after a little persuasion, I snuck behind the bar and I crouched down, shut the lights off, and I just yelled what I thought, you know, what I thought of. And uh, from there, uh, singer was born, I guess. Yeah, that's cool, man. That's it, man. It's, it's weird. It's hard. I mean, playing the instruments, Greg. No, no. Yeah, I'm the same as well. I don't, I don't play any instruments, so... Just, I'm musically retarded. Yeah, <laughs> I, I could say the same as well. But uh, yeah, it's, it's difficult, isn't it? When someone's like, yeah, just sing. You just, it's just hard. You don't, you, right. you, never, you never had any sort of like real experience of training apart from obviously watching people on stage exactly. doing it. So then, 
<laughs> something just comes about. Obviously, a little bit of help from some um, from some certain means of drink or, or drugs, and then yes, all of a sudden, yes, like, yes. you just you're doing it. I'll stand, like, I wouldn't have the first clue when you give me a microphone up I'll stand up on stage and play guitar in front of 100,000 people no problem you give me a microphone and say say something I'll be like uh, uh. <laughs> <laughs> yeah I've done yeah I'm this exact same way I don't have that's a that's a talent to be able to no no not really I still don't know what I'm doing so don't worry about it <laughs> uh, so this so this what, what was the name of this band that you had for you Loss of hope, loss of hope. Well, that's not, yeah. Yeah. yeah, very positive. Very, yeah, very. <laughs> positive message to Pro- the world. Proper hardcore sound like. <laughs> so obviously, so you moved on from loss of hope, and then yeah. you decided that you're going to start the band denied. So how did that go about? Who was the one who laid the frame the framework in, into basically starting this new project? I think uh, I think Fiorentino uh, stated that he didn't want to. To work the bass player was like i'm out and at that time we started going to shows and we were we were like just really like in love with these shows and having a great time and i remember one day we were hanging out in nick's house and i think uh, greg i think it was gregory who said uh hey matt why don't you pick up the guitar and do something and then you know and nick had actually bought me a guitar at that time and he was teaching me how to play and I'll never forget, I plugged in and I, I think I only hit the E chord and Greg fell on the floor. He's like, that's it. That's it. We have a band. And and we just decided to to make something. Um, right? My yeah, mom. like I had never played drums before. So if you listen to those, like the first three months of, of tapes, uh, it was it was bad. Because Melissa never really played guitar. I never played drums, except I never sang. So it was it was it was fun. It was interesting. How we got to this point is un- unknown. But it was fun. It was yeah. fun. I had a, we, we were having a good time. You know, we were in the we were in that phase where, you know, we just believed in the scene and we were really pumped by the music. And it, it's it's as you guys probably know, it's super hard to find drummers. Right. Yeah. So when when we got rid of my brother, like we tried a little bit to find drummers, couldn't find them. That's why I just said, let me move to drums because it's easier to keep a band going. And then, mm-hmm. you know, to put up with me learning how to play drums, we kind of just, you know, developed this style very similar to, to Bulldoze, but but we kind of made our own thing because that was the, the level of playing that we had at the time, yeah. right? It was, it, was, uh, it was simpler, but it was, you know, it worked for us. So we kind of made something that worked uh, for for the level of skill that we had at the time. Well, that's the magical thing about hardcore as well is the level of skill doesn't really need to be high. <laughs> <laughs> Very true. Yeah, I think that's why everyone gravitates to it because you don't have to be like um you know a trained musician to do it. You just like you could know three chords and like like you know an album. <laughs> there you go. Yeah, right, exactly. I think um, I think these days though it has lost a little bit of that charm where people would just be like, oh, let's let's just give it a go and fuck it. If if people like it, they like it. If they don't, then they don't. But we're still going to try. Whereas these days, a lot of the kids they have to feel like they need to be good straight away, and um, mm-hmm. sometimes yeah. it just doesn't come out. Sort of, it comes out the way how they think everyone's going to like it. But then when people listen to it, they're like, oh, this is like the, it's, it's just 
not too good, but it just doesn't feel raw. Back then, 20 years ago, you, you can go to a rehearsal studio, record yourself playing two or three, four songs, and then just copy tapes and hand it out at shows, and that was good enough. And now people need like professional recording and spending so much money and polishing things and things need to be perfect and punched in and, and auto-tuned and all that kind of stuff. Um, and it, 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 I think it took a little bit of the rawness and like what, what hardcore was now it's all this polished stuff, which is great. Yeah. I, I don't, I don't mm -hmm. take anything away from that, but it, that's how it's changed. Like we, you could go to shows and I remember getting the, the, the first irate demo, um, where Phil, Phil just was handing out um, demos to, to everybody at a Castle Heights show and that you'd, you'd go and just exchange tapes with people. And that you can't really do that anymore, not because the medium is gone, but because the expectation is anything that isn't this polished, perfect product it isn't good. And, and that, that, you know, that wasn't the way it was back do you think we're speaking from an, another generation, though? Because now you've got like Pro Tools, you've got all this software where you can program the drums to be perfect and when we were doing it you had like a four track maybe it's just a different generation now you know the, uh, it's just they can't they can create music where it does sound tighter i i think that's great right the, the tools uh, allow the process to be easier and and we kind of utilize and jump on that bandwagon too like if you listen to some of the stuff we did 20 years ago you're right it was on the four track tapes or like like it wasn't digital the way it used to be you'd have to be perfect with how you record things and you, you got to everyone's recording live there are like fix-ups that that could happen but i'm so happy we didn't do that because that's it, it captured the energy of, of what we were doing back yeah. then everyone's recording to click tracks now and <laughs> they were lined up on the grid and yeah i mean if you listen to any of our older stuff i have no idea what timing we were no such thing as yeah. it was feeling it was all yeah. feeling <laughs> well, do you remember how hard it was to record that stuff as well when like when you didn't have a click and then there was a little oh, totally. bit where like someone fucked up a little bit and you were trying to like guitar over it and you're like what the how am i supposed to <laughs> Totally hit, hit an open E chord for a little bit and just wait it out, see how it goes. <laughs> yeah, we changed riffs mid-recording because we were just like, now nah, I'm not going to go re-record that again. We're just going to play it this new way. <laughs> <laughs> we, we did that as well, I think. In BDF, yeah. we did that. Yeah. That's just a pure freestyle, man. Sometimes that's that's got to be done. Well, it was, yeah. it was that was the way anyway. So when you put out your your first demos, what was the first one that came out? Was it Payback? Was that the first demo that you put out? Yeah. And um, did you had you played any shows before then, or was you doing the demo first, then playing shows afterwards? Talk us through that uh, period. I think I think we it was probably a little combination of both at the time. In order to get into clubs, you had to have some sort of a of a sample. So I think we had to put together the the demo in order to, you know, just even get a chance to be listened to at certain clubs um, because they would always say, all right, you know, give us what you got and we'll call you back. We'll let you know if, you know, whatever. So I think we did record pretty early on because we were just dealing with trying to book shows and not, not no one knowing who we were. So we had to have something on, on tape to just, you know, speak for us in order to get shows. And then after that, after you begin to learn and meet people and network, then it was, that process was easier. But I do think we had to have it early. Yeah. I, yeah, that absolutely. Like that was a must for a lot of the people that, that 
you know, we were trying to book shows from before anyone knew who we were. They wanted to, they wanted to hear the music first. So, so we decided pretty early on, like, let's, let's get a couple of songs down on tape and then see how that goes. Damn, because by today's standards, all you got to do is set up a Facebook page, print off some T-shirts, and then you're getting, you're playing above some bands who've already been established around for a bit. Like, I mean, I'm not talking shit. That's just the reality. That's how it is. Like sometimes with um, with with some bands in 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 parts of scenes around the world. But um, obviously, whoever's listening to this, you can hear that people actually had to have music before people give you a chance. So a little bit of food for thought there. Um, do you remember your first show that you played? Do you remember it fondly? Or had to be che- it was, Cheers. Uh, it was that bar- Cheers. Oh my God! Yes, yeah. it was with a, yeah. a mortal suffering and restraint. No, was that the yes. was that the lineup? I think it was on Angelo's birthday oh. from Restrain, Yeah, right. And then we played Castle Heights, which is was you know a club that a lot of people talk about. But our first show at Castle Heights. Oh God! We showed up and it was us and Restrain and like two other people in this empty bar in, in Castle Heights on a Thursday. <laughs> And it was like embarrassing because it was like, a re- yeah, we, we treated it as a, um, a rehearsal because nobody showed up. And that's how a, f- a couple of our first shows went, like where it was just uh, us and the other bands, um, because that's how the scene was in Queens back then. Like everything was in the city, like everything was in Manhattan. There, there wasn't a lot of out of borough stuff when we first started. Obviously, you're part of the New York hardcore tradition. Was there any sort of like, was there a difference in terms of the music and what people were, were into? Was that maybe what set you guys apart at the beginning? You know, that's a good point. I think in the in the mid-90s, I think there, the scene began to grow more with the whole bulldoze-infused style. And prior to that, I think the only band that kind of came near to that was Biohazard. And Biohazard, I remember, was bringing a lot of people toward Brooklyn. And there were a lot of shows in Brooklyn, but there weren't a lot of shows in Queens. And then the, the, the people in the city, those shows were m- more of the old style, like the, you know, Agnostic Front and, and you know, that different style of hardcore. So um, it really wasn't until Bulldoze, the style that we immediately loved, um, started becoming more and more frequent at that time. But yeah, I would say around that time it was starting to emerge and there were different bands at the time. There was a definitely a generational um, jump there, I think. I wanted to ask you guys, like when I first heard The Night, like, I could hear a lot of Bulldoze influences. So was that the band that made you, was Bulldoze the band that you kind of um, architect your sound on? 100%. 100%. Once I heard Bulldoze, it was, it was over for me. I mean, I like Mad Bull and, and 25 to Life and all those bands, but once I heard Bulldoze, it was, that was it. Struck a chord and just stayed with me. Okay, what was it about Bulldoze that made you, that was like, this is what we want to do compared to, to your 25 to Life or other bands around at that time? It was just the heaviness and the beat down and, and like the hatred and it was, <laughs> it was just like bloodshed, you know, it was crazy. Yeah, yeah I, I remember seeing Bulldoze at... Uh, like they they played like a Biohazard record release party. Oh, I remember that. And, that was sick. Yeah, in in Roseland, and it was like it, it was like just mayhem when Bulldoze played. Like there was a different energy and vibe. You know, people were allowed to be you know, like not to say that things were positive, but there was a lot of high energy in a lot of the music that was around back then, right? Even though there was there was some diversity, but a lot of a lot of bands that was that they went for the sing-alongs. Like you went to a twenty-five to life show, and there's like fifty people just charging the stage, right? 
Then you watch Bulldoze and it was just violence um, in a way that I, I think I saw Carnivore um, like that once where it was just nobody knew if you're going to make it out of the club when Carnivore was playing. <laughs> yeah. It was just violence. And that's how it was with Bulldoze when I saw them. And it, it was like, I want to do that. I want to, you know. I want to play that way because it, there's a raw energy to it, right? It's basic. Well, Bulldoze the first actual beatdown band. I know the term beatdown was said before Bulldoze, but when I think beatdown, I do think like Bulldoze or maybe that first band that you could say is a beatdown band, and that's it. It's definitely the first beatdown band I heard like that. You know, like Nikki was saying, that show that we went to, the Biohazard record release. I mean, they had Mad Bull on there, uh, Bulldoze. I forgot who else, but I mean, it was a big show. And once they came on, it was it was insanity. So you've obviously, now you've played a few shows, you've put a demo out. Um, did you, how many demos did you put out? Did you just put out one or did you have some other little tapes, CDR sort of things floating around at the time? We put that two song, uh, two song release out. Uh, I forgot, was, was Stand Strong on that, Nick? I, I forgot what it was. Uh, on it. Yeah, I think it was Stand Strong and Through, through Pain. Yeah, I mean, it wasn't officially released. We just, Kind of just something took them and we just handed them, handed out. them out to people. Yeah, right. But, um, your your next big release was with um another New York hardcore band that not too many people would know about, but they are actually a very. I mean, I've heard them. I think Pierre played it to me when I when I was living with Pierre back in the Northwest London. Yes. It's the band Relentless. Yes. Yeah, and um the the vo the vocalist style is very unique and very different. Sounds <laughs> yeah, like be real from uh, from yeah from uh, what's it called from Cypress Hill. But how did you guys go about um, getting relentless and doing this split? Like, who who's who's behind this idea? This was probably like around ninety six to ninety seven. So we started moving and playing a lot of Long Island shows. And Long Island is bigger and had a lot more clubs. They have they have the geography to have like big show, bigger shows out there. And I guess um, outside of the city, their club restrictions are different. So we started meeting a lot of kids a lot of kids and we started being invited to play shows. And so we became friends with um, a number of different people. And one of those groups were relentless. We, we met them along with other bands. And then we were also good friends with restrain at that time too. And so we, I don't even remember how we got on the discussion, but we knew we had to do something. Little Greg was like the, the, the glue that brought us like to Long Island. To, to me, because right. we played that show in, I believe it was College Point, and uh, we were playing, again, it was okay, not a lot of people, but it was okay, and I remember just singing and this kid just taking off off my back, like <laughs> catapulted onto the crowd, yeah. I'm like, who the hell is this kid? And you know, little Greg, he was little, short, and at that time, he was probably 16, I, I don't even know how old he was, and I'm like, who the hell is this little kid? And he was just kicking ass, man. And after the show, I remember going up to him. I think we gave him a tape or something or just talked to him. And he had a bunch of like Long Island kids with him. And it just started, like Melissa said, we just started moving to Long Island. And I think Greg like introduced us to a lot of more of the Long Island bands. And one of them was Relentless. The Greg that we're talking about is Greg Hayward. He was the guitarist for EGH and he would follow us at every show. I don't even know how he did it at 16. The kid didn't even have a car, but he would show up everywhere we were. And we, uh, you know, we started hanging out with him and then he, he's from Long Island. And that's how he kind of brought us to 
to that area. And that's how we got to meet a lot of other people. So how did it go down the split in terms of the reaction? Um, did, did people in the wider New York hardcore scene and maybe along the East Coast and the rest of America, how, how, how did people take to it? We put it out on like a, on a seven inch, right? And so it, it, we probably should have put it out on a tape as well. And we didn't. Um, so it limited who would be able to listen to it. Um, but we had done a comp called Newfound Hope that we had put a song on before uh, we we did this split. Um, and so that one kind of got people interested in in coming down to shows and, and uh, that one got a little bit more oh, play because it was on a CD, right? So, I mean, I still have the, like, like, like 50 of those seven inches sitting somewhere in my house because, you know, it, it was received really well, but, you know, if, unless you had a way to play that, it was probably, we probably should have thought about it. Yeah, right. Should have thought that out better. Right. I, I think too, I didn't even realize it till now. I think it just the, the, the medium of music was changing. You know, we went from a cassette tape to a CD player and vinyl was still in and out. And so it was like trying to find a way because like our demo was a, a cassette tape. Our that um, release with Relentless was a vinyl. And then we didn't get any as much attention until we went on to a CD. And at that point, I think it was able to uh, be more widespread. I actually don't think a lot of people even know about that relentless split. I think at the time when we moved to together as nine, I think we really honed into the sound that we we wanted and striving for all those years. Yeah, for real. I'm definitely happy that a lot of people didn't listen to that. <laughs> yeah, yeah, man. I, I like to push those two things: the the payback yeah. demo and the, the seven to three. We don't need to talk about that. Well, if you, if, but, if, but if you still got them in, in your in your lockup in your garage or in the house, I mean. Is you know, there's a lot of people these days who are always after sort of like old memorabilia and such from bands like it's retro. So you know what's weird with with this new release that we just put out, we we have been trying to gauge from the market as to what people want, and we still can't even wrap our heads around what people want because here in the states, people are really into digital music, but in Europe, we're getting a lot of requests for CDs. And then, and then, and then there's a couple of like people asking for vinyl and it's, it's just, it's really weird how, how in, in Europe, it seems that people are far more into the CD than they are into the digital copy. And so like, that's tough to figure out too, because then we have to think about how we're going to plan and, and release and stuff. Actually, you know, um, and not just Europe, Australia. This is the first time we've heard from a lot of people from Australia. We've yeah, never done. had heard from people from Australia and they've been asking us for CDs. Um, I'm curious as to what the, the Japanese market is into because uh, they're just a huge fan base. They're amazing. Yeah, it's just different from de depending on where you're at or where you're from, what you what people are into. We get requests yeah, from England, from Spain. You know, they want CDs. Everyone but us. Straight from the heart of London. The next release is the big one. Together as none is probably for a lot of people who are into to the subgenre of beatdown is definitely in their top ten or maybe in their top five of releases. How did you go about putting that release together? Was it stuff from older tracks or were these all new tracks that you decided to do for this for this particular release? It was a mix. It was definitely a mix of 
older work that or stuff that we had already um been putting out at that time we had definitely um been playing actively stand strong uh drown in sorrow um through through the pain through pain, through pain. i can't even remember the title <laughs> and then we had a couple of new new stuff so we definitely wanted to um we were really busy at the time i remember we were just playing networking a lot so we i think we had a total how many songs on that like eight six seven six, i think it was six or seven six or seven yeah. plus the bold we had the bulldoze cover, the, so it was like <clears throat> secret track yes and so we it was a mix it was a mix of of stuff that we had already been playing and brand new stuff right the the, the thing to 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 note on that is when we started writing for that record little greg was in right the band. i was gonna mention right? that so we, right so we had we we didn't have a bass player at the time because our bass player left and little greg started playing bass with us but then moved to guitar so little greg was involved with writing stand strong and through pain then little greg left and then we wrote i think one or two songs and then we we got a couple of guys from a band called one second thought so we had eric and sean from one second thought who came in and they recorded all the songs with us um because because we did it live in a room we didn't track it out you know back then it was that's a live recording the writing for those songs were like over the course of a year maybe when we had different members so and, and i think you can hear that like like little greg's style and stand strong is a lot different than you know eric and sean's style and drown in sorrow um that was interesting and so the, they were a mix of like uh different views of, of how we approached writing songs back then you know and and we i think we you could hear that on the record and i think we were better for it it, it feels like anyway even though it was tough to to kind of go through member changes mm -hmm. while we were trying to prepare for for a release which we had already uh, promised Kev because it was on Time Serve Records. We promised Kev uh, we would we would have this thing out in a period of time uh, that that he was comfortable with. So we were working, you know, against the timeline for that. Right at that time, we were we were actively talking to Kev a lot, you know, because he was locked up and we were going to see him and he was, you know, sending mail to us and and then losing losing little Greg. You know, we I, I mean I personally thought like, oh man, it's going to be hard to replace because he has a presence that you know Greg. I love that kid, but um, when we discussed it, we got Sean and, and Eric, because we were good friends with One Second Thought, which to me is one of the best Queens bands that that played. Like Nikki said, you could definitely hear the style change and, and it helped us out a lot. Can I just quickly say, my favorite Denial song is Resurrection, man. Same. That dual vocal with the talking and the screaming, that's hard as fuck, man. Yeah. That is hard as fuck, man. Yeah. That we actually yeah. wrote that song um with Little Greg. That was that he the beginning of that was was a little Greg riff. That was the last riff that Little Greg wrote for the band. Right. Um, you know, then we come into with the with the jungle beat over it and then, you know, the guitar coming in. Um and then like you can hear it because like that was a little Greg riff. And then we go into riffs that we wrote. Um, and yeah, so that was the last the resurrection was the last song we wrote because that was the intro on Together Is None. And then we re-recorded it. Um, like, yeah, that was the last song that we wrote with Little Greg. Mm. I didn't think about that till now. Yeah, man. Rest in peace, a little Greg, man. Yeah, 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 for real. Did did you did you guys 
um, on the back of this. So um, the date it came out was 1998. So obviously you must have, I'm sure you played quite a few shows. Did you guys remember your um, record release um, show that you did for it? Was it a big turnout or, or was it like, as you said before, pretty quiet on a weekday or something? <laughs> I, don't, I don't remember when we released it. I, I think it was at Castle Heights. Yeah, it was probably we released it. Uh, so, so, are you guys familiar with the club Castle Heights? Yeah, I prefer yeah, the yeah. Prefer the Castle Heights. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. So that was like our home base for a really long time, and 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 Kev and and John gave us a shot at that club when no one else would. So so respect to those guys. So Kevin Castle uh, and then John Mangan, um, and it, it was crazy. Like, cause we were going to shows there. We, we were doing like three, three a weekend. We would, we would go and, and support people and play our shows and they would support us. And that show was crazy. The record release show. Um, cause we also did the Woodstock of hardcore and, and that was kind of, a uh, a corresponding, but that was with little break, but yeah, the, the record release for together as none was, was crazy. Cause at that time you'd have hundreds of people coming to shows, right? It grew from 96 to 98, 99. That's when things got crazy. That's when it got big. Did did you get um, any sort of like, because um, I'm sure Kev must have had the maybe distribution deal with um, certain distributors around the world, obviously in particular Europe and that. Did you manage to get your CD obviously out to these different places so more people could hear your band? Absolutely. I mean, it's, it's weird how it's like people would, would be traveling and they'd be like in Europe or Japan or somewhere and they'd, take, they'd send us a picture of, of our CD like uh, in a record store somewhere, right? Which blew our minds because the year before nobody's listening or, <laughs> you know. So, so yeah, Kev, Kev did, I don't know how Kev had the connections he did to distribute us. But yeah, he put that record around the world. Um, how did that come about, by the way? Um, I think he got a mix when he was locked down. I think he got a mixtape that one of his friends sent him with an older song of ours. Probably one of the ones that we didn't want him to hear. But uh, <laughs> he heard it and, and he wrote us and he contacted us and we went to visit him. You know, I, I thought it was bullshit when I first got the 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 mail to my house. I th- I thought guys were screwing. I thought the restraint guys were screwing with us. So I'm like, this is bullshit, you know. And yeah, it was legit, man. We went to see him a few times, and we just talked about it. And he's like, yeah, I want to put some. First, I think it started out like a seven inch or something, and then it went to like a CD and or split CD and then a full CD or something. But it was it was like that. That's basically how how it went. That must have been a really fucking cool like cool well, moment because like. Growing up, like <laughs> listening, loving bulldoze like that, and then just suddenly getting a letter like, "Yeah, yeah, let's, uh, let's do something." Must be. Yeah, I, I remember surreal. when I told I told Kev like we we were visiting one time, right, and and we we got on the subject of how much we like bulldoze, right, and I don't think he was comfortable with that, and I had told him what I what I said, which was I learned drums by playing bulldoze records and playing along, and he looked at me like, "What the fuck is wrong with you?" Like, <laughs> like he just like like. Like he he just he didn't he he didn't need that smoke blown up his ass right so so yeah so it was surreal because you know these guys were you know that was the band that I said for me I wanted to be like and this is the guy who's like I like your band enough to put out put out music so yeah it was definitely a good feeling at that point yeah man when he eventually came out did you guys at any point tour together I'm sure you must have played shows together but did you tour or anything no I think we played I mean I remember playing I think it was Coney Island High with them I think we opened like uh, one show and I, I think they were on you know they were playing later on yeah we played a few shows outside of, of New York City with 
I know we played with Cold as Life and Bulldoze. We played a few shows with those guys um, outside of New York City. But uh, I don't think we got a chance to tour. So before we sort of like get towards the the Millennium uh, time releases and stuff, I just wanted to bring it back a little bit and um, ask a question for for uh, Melissa. So obviously, you're 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 a guitarist in a band, but you're in a pretty male dominated scene. How was how was that for you at the time, especially sort of like in the nineties when it was like proper like tough guy macho, everyone with their like. With their with their shot jackets and their and their Timberland boots, thinking they're a proper bad, you know, you know what I mean. I'm getting, I'm getting the baggy jeans, the vibe. How 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 was it for you? Obviously, doing your thing and that. Like, did did you get a lot of support, or did you feel that people sort of like didn't see you as an equal to them? Never once did I ever ever feel like what I my that I didn't belong. I, of course, acknowledge that I was in a in a male driven industry and I don't know, I don't remember really being too focused on it. I mean, if you looked at pictures of me, I I, I look like a boy at that point anyway, <laughs> because, uh, you know, I, I did my best. But I was so I was so enamored with the whole scene that I wasn't even like I wasn't even that self-conscious, like it, it didn't even occur to me. Nobody ever made me feel and denied that, you know, I was different or or anything. And, um, it was, I, I was always accepted, but I was always the type to that. Um, how do I say it? When girls came to shows at that time, it was always one or two type of girls. It was the girl that was really into the music and she was not there to entertain anybody. Or there was the girl that was, you know, she would hold her boyfriend's jacket and stand there on the side and just you know whatever and and so i i never i always felt so invested in the music so i was always about the playing and the supporting and being at the show and i don't know i just I never I never thought about that and i think the only time i ever did get um treated differently was whenever we went to a new club <clears throat> and we would have to come in and we would be carrying our equipment and I would often be asked if I was selling the t-shirts like, Oh, are you <laughs> yeah. the t-shirt girl? Yeah. You know, or, you know, or who, you know, who are you with? Who are you with? And I was like, no, no, I'm not with anybody. I'm, I'm here with the band. And, you know, most, uh, I remember a couple of times people wouldn't believe that I was in the band until I was setting up on stage. And even up until the point that we performed, I think uh, a couple of people expected me to just maybe step off the stage but no i started playing and then you know um i got a lot of reaction from girls so i had a couple of girls that would approach me and you know they would um they would be so like impressed they would also be just so motivated and so on but that that was so few in between there were so few women at at shows at that time. Why do you think there was so few women at shows? Was it the difference in shows being obviously the sort of like more heavier side of hardcore beat down that tended to be a little bit more rough around the edges as compared to say something which was a little bit more old school push bit sort of like type of band? Do you think that's what it was or maybe a lot of a lot of the women at the time just were sort of like falling out of love or not really too much into hardcore at the time? I think it's really both. I think it. I think there. It just. It's. It's not a scene that had a lot of female fans. They just weren't really into the music, and um, 
you know, all throughout the years, like, um, it was, it's, it's a rare woman in, in that was like a truly a fan of the music. And I met, I mean, I did meet girls, other women there who were fans, but a lot of them just weren't fans. And of course, coupled with the, the heaviness and the violence at shows, um, it was, it was even harder. It was even harder. I mean, it is hard for a woman to be involved because, in a show, you know, if you, if you choose to get involved, like if you choose to be in the pit, you know, you're going to get, you're going to get hurt at some point. And, um, I'm sure there are some people who like really feel that, you know, if a woman's going to put herself in there, well, she's going to learn a lesson. And so, you know, that's not, that's not very appealing. Um, but on the converse, I felt like there were a lot of people who were very protective I remember that first, the very first show I ever played, which was at Cheers, that first show we talked about, I think not even 10 minutes into the set, someone kicked me right in the stomach and, and well, they kicked right into the guitar, into my stomach. And I like, I, I didn't panic. I kept going, but someone had to stand in front of me throughout the whole show. And, and so there were lots of moments like that where, where guys would step up and, you know, know. Um, to help out or, or protect and so on. So that was pretty cool. Together as none came in 98, obviously play shows, getting a lot of reaction. People are banging you. So what did you put out after that? From my notes here, do you put something out on um, forms records? We put out together as none 90, the end of 98. We had, uh, like, like I said, we, we little Greg left the band. We, we had the one second thought guys. Um, and we, uh, like there was a bunch of just, shit that was going on around that time that made things just really tough for us to figure out like what we were doing or like the scene was different and you know like uh things were changing for the better i i would think but um so at that time greg left the band and jared came in to sing and so we had um i think we did two songs on thor's records or we no, we mm -hmm. did we did the step to the plate comp I think. That's what it's called. Yes. Yeah. 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 And and so that was that was the the first release that we did where Jared was singing, um, and uh, right after that, I think we we did a self like release like w with I think the same songs. I, I think uh, we we agreed when when we put out the step to the plate. I think we told James, uh, who who is the the owner of Thorns Records, like we're probably going to use these songs on something else too. Um, and so we, we put that step to the plate comp out just to stay relevant. Um, and that was really good for us. We, we made a lot of friends and I think that's how we, we kind of, I mean, we, I already, I was talking to Pierre for a really long time when Greg was in the band. And, and so like, we, we knew a lot of people, um, but, uh, it, like outside of the United States, we knew a lot of people, but that comp, I don't know how he distroed it to a period of time where people were reaching out to us saying, okay, we want to, we want to hear more uh, from you guys. So we put out a self-release after that. And that's when we were, when we recorded, um, uh, resurrection again, that's where we put the vocals on that, the intro for it. Um, we re recorded, we recorded, I think drown and sorrow for that. Mm -hmm. And then we had a bunch of live tracks and some new stuff too. And so, so that was like feeling around because hardcore was changing. And, and I think, when when Jared came in, we changed too. We we had different members at that point. That was probably 
Greg, correct me if I'm wrong. We had Casey when you were still in the band, right? Yeah, yeah. He, he like very little. I, I was there very little with Casey. Yeah. So we we had we went from the, the one second thought guys to a, another guitar player, and then we went we we lost a bass player again. So we were kind of just figuring stuff out too. So I don't remember much about the releases that we did, but I do remember that that opened us up to like like when I mean, we came out there in 2003 i think that was a direct result of like um some of the 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 step to the plate um comp attention that we got and and the self-release that we got too so that opened us up to like like new opportunities which is pretty awesome so there was a few years in between until you obviously steve can obviously can talk a little bit more about this as well but you put out a split with bdf um, the London-based band, obviously. Oh, yeah, we, we, we're now coming to the highlight of your uh, experience. <laughs> yeah, that's right. right. Well, oh, you, I, mean, I have that framed on the wall. That's like the, the best thing we've ever done. Can I ask one quick question before we jump into that? Just one of course question. you can, mate. Greg, what, am I okay to ask? Why did you decide to leave the band? Was it you just oh. wanted to see something different? In, in hindsight, it's probably the biggest regret of my life, being honest. Um I just I was in a relationship and it was just it was taking its toll and pretty much that that, that was it and I went for the girl and bad move I should have stayed with the band because you know I, again I regret it and you know there's a lot more stuff like now you're hearing all shall suffer this should have been done way back then and we should have probably done a lot more but you know yeah yeah it yeah. is what it is that's that's yeah, yeah that's fair enough yeah, man. that's fair man. That's fair enough. BDF denied. So let's 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 start this. So did you you guys came to the UK? When was it? Two thousand and three for a UK tour? Yeah, that was like that was the best experience. It really was. <laughs> like you guys were just so welcoming to us, oh, and like we played a few shows together while you were here. I think we played in like Wickham one night. We did that, and I think we played in London maybe as well. I think we just hung out one night as well. I don't even know if there was a show, and we all just went out. And it was just we were, it was just such a good laugh and, and good fun. So I don't know whether the idea for the, the split came just from that kind of friendship that we struck up. Sorry if I'm wrong, but I think that we had actually um, we were in the process of releasing it because I remember we were playing shows, and I remember being concerned, like, oh, people aren't going to know our stuff because, uh, or they might not know who we were. But I remember everybody knew you guys. And so on. So we, it was right almost around the same time. So it was either just come out and, and then we, and then we showed up, but it, I remember it was so early. I felt like people weren't going to know who we were, but it didn't matter. We were riding your coattails. Yeah. <laughs> so that's how, I think that's how it was. Yeah. The Axel put that out, didn't he? Is that yeah, right? Yeah. Yes. Yes. No, I'm just going to say, you know, when you're like a big, uh, a big fan of someone's band, but you've never met them, and then sometimes you meet them and you're just like, and that person, you, like, you end up hating the band. You know what I mean? So I'm so glad with you guys. It's just like every, everyone just bonded and clicked so well, man. I remember it being yeah. such a oh good time God. back then, man. Yeah. Yeah. It, it really was. It was, I have to say, it was outside of the privilege, right? Because it's a privilege to be invited to go overseas and play. So outside of the wonderful support, I mean, you guys were like incredible, incredible. I mean, between Billy's feet and <laughs> like the, the, the tours that you, I mean, you treated us like family and, I have to say it was just, it was amazing. We were just, 
we were so touched by how the kindness of everyone there, the brotherhood, you know, we slept in everyone's house at one point, you know, and, yeah. and it was, it was, it was, it was disgusting at some times. <laughs> um, the, the first night it was, it was a wild. I, we slept on the floor of a, a house. I, I woke up with my face in an ashtray and, <laughs> and that's, and apparently I snored and, and it was a problem for everybody. And I was like, everybody go fuck themselves. But it was amazing. It was, it was just amazing. Everything, everything. I, I will, I will never forget that tour. That tour was the, one of the biggest highlights that we had. And really because of the people, the, the people, you guys were incredible. Just really, really incredible. Thank you. Thank you. Seventeen years uh, later, but thank you. Exactly. <laughs> no, thank you. Was it just was it just um, England and Wales, or did you ma did you manage to go to the mainland Europe as well? No, we were supposed to, but what happened was uh, Biohazard was doing like a, a huge tour, like around the same time, and I think at the last minute we found out, like the week before, that we had like thirteen or fourteen shows we were supposed to go. Uh, to main, mainland Europe as part of it. And I think it just got derailed because um, they couldn't get promoters to book us a week after the, the huge shows that Biohazard was, was putting out there. So like we, we, we were supposed to go do, go to Germany and Brussels um, and those got canceled right away because of it. So uh, I think we did six shows in the UK across England and Wales. One show in Wales. Who's that? Was that TJ's? I don't know, but it was it, like there was no stage. So we were on the floor and it was mayhem. And it was like, like everyone went nuts. We were getting kicked and knocked around and it was great. It was like, it was the fucking best. Do you guys ever manage to get over to, to, to um, mainland Europe to play shows? No, no, no. Well, we, we, we did end up having a week over there afterwards that we were like hanging out like at billy's house and we we, we like go to the pub with you guys and just and just like meet up and go to shows and it was like a little vacation um and and i think that's what i think we connected most with was was like i remember we went with like uh, i i think remember we we took a day out, out and and like danny uh and billy and ray hey, yeah yeah, where they were just like, yeah, I'm just going to take off and drive you guys around the city and show you the sights. And I was like, who does that? Like, that was just so kind. And it was like, like, okay, these are awesome people. Yeah, but we never had an opportunity to go to mainland Europe, unfortunately. Yet. Yet. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, that's, yeah, yeah, that's, that's, that's the important thing. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> what about you, Greg? Have you ever been over to Europe? No, I hate flying. Oh, really? So we're gonna have oh, a I'm going to have to Zoom if we go on tour over there. <laughs> Is it going to be like um, Mr. T? Yeah. Me and flying, no good. So I have yeah. to say some of them like some of them B.A. Baracus burgers. Oh, damn. So, Greg, you've, have you never flown before or you have flown? No, I have flown. Like it. I have yeah. flown. No, I just don't like it. I, I, one of the reasons why I was very close to 9 11. That's like now. Oh, head, so oh shit! Oh, I was right across the street. So, um, oh, you actually saw it happen? Yeah, yeah. Living that experience and thinking you're gonna die about seventeen times in you know three minutes is not good. So, but um, you know, before that, I just didn't like it anyway. Oh, that's fair. There's there was a famous. Um, I'm not sure how much you guys know about soccer or anything, but there was a famous footballer who played for a team called Arsenal. Yes, this is Dutch. Yeah, the Dutch guy Dennis Burkamp, and he famously would never fly places 
Um, I'm not sure the reason why he didn't fly up to, or maybe he had an experience at, at one particular time, but anytime they will be playing in Europe for um, a, a, a European competition, he would either have to take the ferry over or he just wouldn't play like if it was like super far away. So yeah, it's, it's just one of those things. I'll tell you, happens. to get the chance to play over there, I, I would get my ass on the plane. So Yeah, I, yeah, yeah. <laughs> that's it, man. You just just listen to this episode and repeat all the way there for six hours. I'm sure, I'm sure you'd be fine. So that split with BDF came back in 2004, and then there was a five year gap in between them. Melissa and Nick, was you guys obviously was the band still going, or was you on a little bit of a break hiatus, or you just nothing was happening at the time? We had a baby, and so we became parents, and you know we we really like kind of paused everything and stopped and focused on, on our son and Nick always played them. He never really stopped. He always jammed. He always played. I really took more of a, of a bigger backseat, but, um, but you know, we always, uh, we always kept in touch. We still once in a while went to the studio and you know, the, the, we kept going, but not, not officially and not formally. And we definitely didn't play any shows. Yeah, because our son was born in 2005. And so, yeah, we, we kind of took a, we slowed down a bit right. before that. We also, we also went through a couple of member changes. Again. So, again, yeah. right? It was Melissa and I, I moved over to guitar because I, I have a problem with my back and hands, so I can't sit behind the drum kit anymore. Um, so, I moved over to guitar. Um, so, Melissa and I were playing guitar. And that's when we came over there. We toured um, with, with Melissa and I on guitar. Um, we got a bass player uh, and we had a bunch of different drummers. Oh my God. Right. I think we had seven or eight drummers that just kind of cycled through. Jeez. Yeah. Yeah. It's hard finding a a, a drummer. It's very hard. Yeah. Really hard. Yeah. And then, and then we, we evolved a little bit. I went back to drums for a show we did. And I think that's the show you were talking about um, where, we it was the pre black and blue festival show where we played in a club in Brooklyn. Um, and it was, and a, I went back to it was sorry, it was a place in Bergen Street, but I can't remember what the name of the venue was, but it was yeah. Bergen Street in Brooklyn. Yeah, I, I, right. I, I remember meeting that, that Sid the Kids, he was there. But it was a bit of a, it was a bit of a, a, a daze because I remember just drinking loads of cold forty fives and being like <laughs> completely fucked up, and then eating this pizza, this greasy ass pizza afterwards. But like, I remember having, I remember actually having a couple. We took some pictures as well with you guys. I'm not sure if I still got them, but like, yeah, me and Ammo and that was 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 pretty drunk, but it was a good night. But I remember, for, I also remember Freddie Marble coming on stage when Scam Dust was doing his doing his thing and that like. So yeah, it was it was it was a good show, man. It was um it was very much an eye opener for me, like seeing all these names and like hearing all these bands that I know have been big in the New York Arco scene. So definitely helped me in terms of obviously still being pretty new to the scene. And I think it was my first time in America as well. My first time in New York. So I was just really excited and, and very grateful for you guys like being really cool as well. But yeah, yeah. Colt 45. And, yeah. Colt 45. I used to drink that, eat gyros and Colt 45 when I was a kid. Horrible man. <laughs> that's, that's what we would do. <laughs> gyros and beer. Yeah. So, uh, yeah. So with that show we played, um, I went back to drums for it. And, uh, you know, we, we did that show. Uh, Jared was really good friends with cousin Joe Camarada, who is, you know, who does all the black and blue stuff. Yeah. So, so Joe got us on that show. Um, and we 
we weren't really in a, in a place to do shows anymore. We didn't really want to do shows. Um, I couldn't play, but I went back to play drums uh, for that show. And, and we had a guitar player, Kevin, who's in, in All Shall Suffer now. Um, so Kevin Contorno. And so he played, we had Kevin and uh, on guitar with Melissa, we had a bass player um, and I played drums for that show. And, and that, I think that was the closest we came to a show. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Like, that, that was, our, I think, our very last show we've ever played. But um, right. you put out Prayer for the Enemy in 2009 on Field of Hate. When that opportunity came around, we we were ready to have to put out music again. We really had grown a lot musically. We, had, we hadn't done anything really formal with Jared as the singer. And so that was a very, very... Uh, carefully planned uh, release you know we worked on it we we put our heart and soul into it and we really did our best because up until that point we didn't really have any sort of long releases longer releases so we we did we really worked hard on that one and that was um next to the also all shall suffer it was really probably the most um in involved although Maybe that I mean together is none was very involved, but there was a lot of drama around that time. So you know, I kind of blur a lot of that out. But I remember prayer for the enemy was was much more relaxed and focused, and there was no pressure. We weren't looking to necessarily play shows, and you know there was no pressure to have to produce and then then support it. So we were able to just be more of. Um, more of the musicians at that point and, and be more careful and take our time. And, not, and I, I remember that. It was a very positive experience. Yeah. Well, what, what, are you, what are you currently doing at the moment? Are you doing anything musically in, with different projects or are you doing something which isn't music at the moment? Just doing the All Shall Suffer stuff. That's where it's at now. Yeah. So, yeah. So we, we were like after, I want to say 2015 or so, like the, we Kevin and I started playing. We had another bass player with us. Um, we started writing a bunch of songs, um, and we had them. We went and recorded just the music for the songs. So we had three or four years of that, um, and then we we got in touch with Greg again because um, it was the heavier style again. What, what you hear in All Shall Suffer, and uh, Greg was like, "Yeah, you know, I'll, I'll grace you guys with a little with some lyrics <laughs> here." The yeah, exactly. You, yeah, exactly. Um, and so it worked really well. Like we, we got into a studio with Greg and it was like, it was 1997. Again, yeah. Right? Felt like and, old times. Greg's too. voice. Yeah. And his voice like is, is I feel better now. Yeah, like, really stronger. And yeah. And so it was just like, I think Greg came into that first rehearsal with, uh, with lyrics already. Um, and we did stand strong uh, as the first song, and it was like okay, right there, like it, it was no problem. Um, it was like old times again, um, and that's why we recorded "Stand Strong" and we put it on uh, the All Shall Suffer record because it was a connection to the you know uh, the denied past that you know we evolved from that and we changed and the denied that we did with Jared was definitely a different denied. I um, mean, we had all new members too. Um, but this was like a connection back to the the, the late nineties. Um, and and it, it just felt right. It worked. Um, Greg was super enthused. It and and we had we had these songs for three or four years. 
that we were listening to without vocals. Um, and to hear vocals on them again, it was like, okay, that's the way they're supposed to sound, right? And so, so we've we've been throwing all of our time into All Shot Software. Like we we have this release that we just put out, and I think we have eight or nine more songs that we have to kind of work through. And I was talking with Pierre about doing another split. Um, so so you know he was super cool about listening to me being super happy about you know the music he's like all right you know let me let me see and then you know axel's been really cool that's a, the one thing i wanted to mention about axel he never put pressure on us to have to support the stuff like he was always like i'll release it i will you know well, let's make some shirts for you guys let's make some cds for you guys let's do a split um and we never had to worry about getting in a van and driving around and supporting it so um, and he was real supportive when, when we were doing the All Shaw Suffer stuff too. You know, he's like, I want to distro it out here. So um, it, this, this time around, it feels like we, we, and Greg, correct me if I'm wrong or Melissa, um, it feels like we know what we're doing now. <laughs> so, Very true. so you know, Very true. yeah, we're not fighting. Yeah, we're not fighting an uphill battle um, with figuring things out. Um, and, and we have enough friends who are willing to support us, which is pretty cool. And we grew up a lot, you know. Obviously, we're a, a lot older, unfortunately. <laughs> not Melissa. I just want yes, to say Melissa's <laughs> still the same age from '98. <laughs> um, but you know, it, it just it we just got older, so everything just became a lot easier, and right. and stupid shit became less important. Yeah, exactly. I mean, through the time that they were playing and everything, I always had something missing. It was always missing. You know, I, I never realized it was the music. I would always listen to hardcore and I always listened to Bull Bulls and Mad Bull. I was always on their, bought their releases and stuff and just going, you know, going through life and you're like, what, what's missing? And it, I realized I, after I got married, I had kids. I'm like, what? Well, it's got to be the music. And, and Nikki and Melissa, I mean, we were always together, the three of us, all the time in the early days. And, and so when we connected again and we got into the studio, it just, it just felt right. You know, I was going to say, as a guitarist, if I was, if I'm not in a band, I can be at home and just pick the guitar up and play it, you know, and continue right. playing at home. But as a vocalist, right. if you ain't sung for ages, what, how do you, how do you, what's that first screen no. light? Is your, your, <laughs> yeah. uh, how do you build it? How do you find your voice again? I, I don't know. I just went in there and we did stand strong and it just came, yeah, it just came to me again. I mean, I wasn't, I, I don't think I'm the greatest vocalist of all time. So I just yell into a microphone. I think most of the music is, is the real, the, that drives things, you know, Nikki's riffs and, and the beats he puts and shit. And now with Kevin and, and Melissa, that's the stuff that really gets it going. To me, like as Denied went on, like towards the end of Denied, it got, to me, it sounds more metal as time goes on. And this, this new uh, All Shall Suffer, record is like a good mix of like older denied and later denied and then you know the right. new progressions that you brought in I, I did want to ask actually that intro is that is that old like it just sounds like a <laughs> old in, if you know what i mean in a good that, way that's nikki yeah yeah no i that was a bottle of bourbon <laughs> and i don't remember writing that uh, I, I wrote the, the guitar and drums uh, <laughs> I woke up the next day like, what the fuck was that? Um, and we had that. So so that's a relatively new one. But it, yeah. I, it, it's got that vibe though. It's got that 90s vibe to it. And I was like, yes. When I first went, oh, you know, that, that's that's one thing. What, like when we talked about what we wanted to do, like 
we had some other songs that we wrote that just didn't work. Uh, they were just way too melodic, you know, solos and all that kind of stuff. And, and one thing we did talk about with Greg is that we did want to, to focus a lot on the older style, like the beat down stuff, the heavy chuggy stuff, you know. And so like there was a conscious effort to not make things too flighty. So we, we, we um, shelved a bunch of songs that, that we don't think worked. Um, and we focused on writing tight, heavy riffs, like, like very, like that riff reminds me a lot of the intro that little Greg wrote, you know, that the same style of like, like how, like the, 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 the progression of the riff and, and how we structured that song. And, and so, uh, there, there was a conscious effort, um, to, to bring that stuff back because I was personally missing it, you know, it, 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 uh, yeah. So, so yeah, that, but that intro was, um, I don't know where it came from <laughs> and, but I'm glad that, uh, I was able to record it. Oh, how modern technology as well. Getting that shit down while you're drunk. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, exactly. That, that, that's, that's the whole thing, right? I don't even remember doing it. So <laughs> just, just on a quick one, um, Greg, your favorite venue and, um, city to play when you was playing. I mean, Castle Heights is always home. You know, uh, we, again, like Nikki said, we grew from there. You have five people to playing shows that were packed and people going nuts. Um, I couldn't wait to get into the city to play Coney Island High. And when we played that, that was, that was pretty cool. But I, I would have to say Castle. Nikki, yourself, favorite place and a venue you, you play at? To play my favorite show that we play, or the venue to play at was Castle Heights. Um, but... There was a place on Long Island called the Peewack. Oh, the Peewack. Right? Yeah, I forgot about the And it was, it was pretty much a warehouse that, you know, these guys rented and built out like a stage and, and a sound system. And there would always be hundreds and hundreds of people every weekend going to this club. And, and we never had an opportunity to play it um, because they got shut down uh, before we had an opportunity to, to like get really get out long on, but that's one place that that was always banging. It was there was always good show. Where do we play with Puya? We played like a place like like the Dirt or something was called. Uh, was it jazz? That, that was. I don't know. That was a good show. That was. That was a. That was. Like the venue wasn't necessarily great, but yeah, we played with Puya and a bunch of other local bands uh, out in Long Island. You know, but then there was a ton of small little clubs like Dr. Shea's out like um, and the Crocodile Club that we played with E-Town Concrete. And um, so like there was a lot of like I like those little clubs like when we, we played Wales when we were there. And, and like I said, the, the, it was a small club and we kept getting knocked into and kicked and knocked over. And it was the best of time. Like, like I love those type of shows. Like, don't put me on a stage. Put me on the floor with everybody else yeah. and, and we'll play. Thinking about it now, the pipeline was good. When we played the pipeline with E-Town Concrete. And Anthony threw the fucking bottle into the sound booth and ran up the there. Man, Holy yeah. shit. <laughs> Is that New Jersey? Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, it was nuts. Yeah. That was a good show. Uh, Melissa, yourself, what was your um, favorite places to play or to visit? I, I agree with Nick. I hated stages. I don't know why. I always hated stages. I mean, I would play in them, but if, if we got to a venue where we were on the floor, I would always be the happiest. But I have to tell you, one of my favorite shows ever was this backyard barbecue that we did in the Bronx. It was the sloppiest, hottest mess going. But I remember we had little kids 
from the neighborhood climbing up the trees to watch us. And they would be hanging over just watching us. And I just remember thinking that that was just so badass. It was so funny because, you know, we were just in a, in a backyard, no stage. We sounded horrible. It, it was, it was, it was, it was sonically terrible, but it, the vibe was so much fun. So anytime we got to do sort of intimate types of shows like that uh, were great. I, I love those. Those were a lot of fun. Um, but as a formal place, I think um, I like, what was it? In, I like the one in, in London, Underworld. The Verge, I think that might have been. And it was a lot of fun. And I remember there was just a huge, massive brawl. Yeah, for a couple of years back there, that was like our, our little mainstay venue just, just for a little while back then. I don't remember the brawl though, but that was, it was kind of normal, <laughs> I suppose, back then, wasn't yeah, it? Yeah. <laughs> I want to just give a little shout out to um, our the drummer during that tour was this great kid named Leslie Jones and he just passed away and I just we just found out about it like yesterday and it was just really heartbreaking and that kid was um, he came through for us so that we could uh, make it to that tour as the drummer and you know my heart goes out to him because he had four kids and you know, he just, I mean, this just happened this week. So I feel really heartbroken about that, but uh, I want to acknowledge him because had he not, had he not been there, we probably would not have been able to make it because we were, we were having so much trouble getting a drummer at that time. So just a shout out to him. Everyone but us, straight from the heart of London. I just want to say it's been really, really good to talking to you guys. Yeah, it's been a lot of fun. fun. Yeah. I've got three questions. First question is from Jack Baker. And Jack asks, um, how does it feel knowing you've influenced so many bands? It's definitely weird. I, I mean, you know, just coming from where we came from and, uh, you know, just sitting in Nikki's mother's basement writing songs and me sitting here and trying to write lyrics and getting frustrated and Melissa helping me out with some stuff. Uh, it's just funny because people are like, oh man, you know, 20 years later, they're still talking about this, this album. We have six or seven songs on. It's crazy. I think it's, I think it's really humbling to think that people, you know, talk about our music to this day. I mean, I, I still come across comments that people leave and so on. I, I can't believe that. I can't believe we're still remembered. And I just, I take it as just an honor. It That's what it is. It's a, just an honor to be remembered and to be thought of in that way. And it just means a lot. Like it really means a lot that, you know, looking back, we sacrificed a lot during uh, the times that, you know, we put this music out, you know, you give up a lot, you give up your time, your money, you give up, um, you know, you go through a lot. And so the fact that people remember us, I think is just, incredible i can't i can't think of anything you know more awesome than that for sure agreed with all that i, I don't feel it personally like it, it was just a record we did you know we did it live in two days um but it's pretty awesome that people connect to it and they they have some uh, even after all this time it's not just those old heads that we knew 20 years ago but you know, younger kids are listening to it. And that's pretty cool. And that's awesome. And I appreciate that. All right. Um, so that was Jack. Second question is from Alex Rover. And his question is, um, does the band prefer the bagpipe or guitar Amazing Grace intro? Great question. I like the bagpipes personally. Um, that's my Irish half. Um, we weren't even going to do an, uh, like the intro that the 
the Amazing Grace part and Casey was in the studio and he's like, let me just give one try. If you guys don't like it after one try on guitar, we'll take it out. And he banged that out in one shot, like played it. Uh, and then the engineer mixed it together and we're like, okay, we'll keep it. Um, but I, I like the bagpipes. Yeah, me too. I love the bagpipes. Uh, really cool. I'm, par I'm partial to the bagpipes. That's answer that. And then the final question is um, from Connor Niche Stone. His question is: uh, Castle Heights seemed to be the place for shows in New York City when it came to bands such as yourselves, Billy Club Sandwich, Irate, etc. He basically wants to know what is your favorite moment and lineup in that venue. I don't know. There's there's so many so many moments and, and lineups that we played with, and I saw there that were. That, that were insane. Uh, I, I can't pick one out. That place was just nuts at, at its height. It was crazy, especially when I rate and all the Bronx kids started coming down and playing there. And we got the Long Island kids to come in. It was for a small place that it, we packed it up. It was crazy. Yeah, it would it would be over capacity all the time. I mean, Crowbar played, right? I mean, like, like just these huge bands would come in and play this club because they had to, because you heard so much about it. Um, so I remember we played with Marauder there. We played with E-Town Concrete, All Out War, Shut Down. Um, so like, I don't think there is one. I don't know that I could, I could say it. That, that club was unique. The, the sound system wasn't necessarily that great, but it didn't matter. It was just a place. There's not going to be another Castle Heights. Definitely not. For me. Definitely not. I've actually got um, one question I would like to ask. Do your kids listen to your band? Listen to Denied? <laughs> What do they think of? What would they think about the parents being musicians? Well, um, our our son is fifteen now, and um, we were we were blasting music the other day in the car, and he said, "Can you please lower that?" And <laughs> I just like, oh my gosh. Um, so he's not into it. He's he's not into it, but he respects it and he appreciates it and. He doesn't, um, he doesn't actively listen to it, but he definitely, I mean, at home, Nick's always playing guitar, always, all the time. He's, he's got guitars all over the house. He's always jamming. So, you know, our son grew up watching, you know, his dad, not me, not, not really me, but his dad playing all the time. But, um, you know, when we tell him about the recording, I'm like, okay, listen, we're going to be going ahead. Okay. All right. Fine. You know, doesn't ask, doesn't really care. I mean, he's a teenager. Um, they're so into different things now, but I feel like maybe one day when, when, when he's older, he will hopefully, you know, realize how incredibly cool we were <laughs> and he will, he will respect it. Um, but, uh, no, he's not into it. Yeah. My, my kids, uh, are definitely into it. They, they, and not so much the denied stuff, but the all shall suffer stuff. Um, I released, you know, once we released it and now it's on Spotify, they get like a kick out of it. Oh, look, they, you know, that you on Spotify. How many, how many streams you got today? And my son's, <laughs> cool. my son's walking around here with a shirt. So he'll show suffer. Yeah. He's, he's learning all the lyrics. Unfortunately, I don't, I don't, I don't, I'm sure they must tell their, their school friends. Oh, my dad's in a band. Like, so I'm sure he tells cool. everybody. That's yeah, that's cool. That's that's really cool, man. Yeah, it's it's hopefully, it's just inspiring for them if they want to go into that route of doing music when they get older or whenever they want to start. That's yeah, pretty so. cool. Yeah. So. Your Melly and Nick, your story reminded me of um, it's a friend of mine from work and who's he's huge like grindcore fan. Like he's always got Napalm, therefore Carcass, whatever on, and his kids are like, he just says to me, "Ah, oh, my kids just go, 
Daddy's listening to his shouty, angry music again. (laughs) 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 Yeah, pretty much. It's got to be the first generation where that's happened now. Like, the kids are like, oh, that's too heavy, Dad. (laughs) They're using pop music to rebel because we're just like, you know. (laughs) Yeah, yeah, yeah. I listen to heavy metal to to annoy the shit out of my parents. (laughs) He's listening to top 40 to do the same. From the ashes of New York's hardest, denied, comes All Shall Suffer. With that unmistakable sound all the way from Queens, All Shall Suffer bring you their debut album, The Way of Pain. You have chosen The Way of Pain. Featuring seven brand new tracks and a re-recording of the denied classic Stand Strong, The Way of Pain is everything you'd expect from these true heavyweights of hardcore. And it's available right now on all good streaming services. Melissa, Nikki, thank you guys so much. This was denied. And um, is anyone? Have you got a shout out to to anyone else that you want to shout out? Obviously, plug your bands, plug anything else that you do. This is the moment to do it. Yeah, no, just you know, a lot of a lot of things had to to line up for us to be able to do this. So you know, Greg, Melissa, Kevin, um, you know, I, I'm uh, super appreciative for for all these guys and and hopefully it comes out in the music so so uh, you know we're available everywhere all shall suffer on the new record we're 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 trying to release more things super quick you know covid kind of put us on our ass for the last year so we 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 were going to do this release last year and it got it kind of pushed back but we're getting merch out now getting the music ready getting new music recorded um so you know please keep Keep an eye out. Reach out to us. Friend us uh, on social media. You know we're we're pretty friendly people, so reach out to us. Say hi. Um, we appreciate all of that. We appreciate the feedback and inputs. So, yeah, yeah, I would just say, you know, first of all, thanks to you guys for this awesome opportunity. Um, but you know, honestly, you guys are more than just this podcast. You've been friends with us. I know that I've chatted with Steve for ever since we came back for years, at least 15 years, you know, we keep in touch regularly and stuff. And so, you know, it's, it's an honor to really just be back and, and to be able to, you know, share with you guys. And I have to say, it was like a great, it was great interview. I love the questions. They were, they were really great. Uh, but yeah, all our stuff is now on available and we're still working on stuff. Um, we're currently working on doing um, a release with a, uh, band called Mask Up. So maybe Greg, can you talk to him a little bit about Mask Up? Yeah, yeah. Um let's get Chris reached out to Nikki who's been reached out to me. Um he wants he's in a band called Mask Up. It's like a COVID session kind of thing. Uh and he has a bunch of vocalists on it. So he has Stickman, he has um Sal Swan Enemy, myself, uh, uh Chris from Shattered Rome. So he asked me to do a song and um we're in the process of recording that. And that's going to be a charity record. So all the proceeds are going to be donated to UNICEF here. So it's a good cause. Okay. Well, Steve, this has been obviously another fantastic episode. Have you got anything you'd like to add before we... Um... Oh, shit, I want to say as well, um, 
I heard some new stuff the other day where it sounds really good, mate. What's that? Oh yeah, thank you, man. Yeah. Of of yeah. Uh, your your OG band it sounds really good. I'm not going to say yeah. much more than that, but yeah, uh, it sounds really good, mate. Oh, thanks, man. Appreciate it, man. Well, I would look- you sound really enthusiastic. You sound really enthusiastic yeah, no. about that. How could you do that? I could do that. 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 I that. But I wanted to thank you guys for coming on and taking your time out to, you know, just, you know tell us your story. And yeah, man, just continue doing, what you, continue doing what you're doing. And I hope to see you guys over on this side of the... Atlantic at some point, maybe next year. Who knows, man? And get in, get, make sure you get your kid into into your band. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> At least carry equipment. Yeah. Steve. Yeah, no, I'll just say the same as you guys. Just thank you for coming on, man. Uh, Greg, it's nice to meet you. You too, man. Thank you. First time. Yeah, uh, Melissa and Nick. Great, great to catch up with you guys again. It's been a really, really long time. So hopefully we'll get you over here and. We'll, we'll uh, get some gigs going. We'll get uh, Greg full of drugs before he gets on yes. the plane. <laughs> <laughs> a lot. If um, NSA is listening, we're talking about legal drugs. Like, give <laughs> <laughs> a bunch of Benadryl and knock out like a toddler. If you take a shit, you should arrive by this time next year. So. <laughs> <laughs> All right, so yeah, but this is us, everyone but us podcast. Thank you very much. Hope to hear from you guys soon. Take care. Bye-bye. You're listening to the Everyone But Us podcast. Hold on a minute. Stay where you are. You might have heard Greg just now on the Denied podcast speaking about the Mask Up project. We'll keep listening because now we've got a segment with Chris and some of the rest of the guys from Mask Up. Straight from the heart of London. We've got some special guests today at... um, I'll introduce him first. His name is Chris Kovac, and he is... Chris, what do you do in the band? Uh, I'm doing vocals. You're doing vocals in the band. Okay. Yes, Cheers. Chris is doing a band with um, some, I would say, some heavy hitters from the hardcore metal scene. Well, yeah, the hardcore metal scene. Basically, it's a collaboration um, between some bands around the world, and they're basically going to be donating proceeds from the music that they're doing, which will be going to UNICEF. So I'm going to pass it on to Chris, and obviously he can tell us a little bit a bit more about the project that he started and that is currently ongoing. So go ahead, Chris. What's up, guys? We really appreciate you taking time out to uh, let us help get the world word out around the world. Um, so more or less, I used to set up benefit shows for different charities, um, but with obviously COVID going on, uh, we decided to go a different route. So I reached out to some friends of mine and uh, we decided to put together an EP. Um, EP is called The COVID Sessions Volume 1. The band's name is Mask Up, and, uh, you know, all proceeds will be going to UNICEF, where, you know, hardcore does have heart, no matter if we're talking about splitting wigs or, or whatever, what have you. Um, we're trying to do some good for the community and have some uh, have some fun. Is, it, is there any part of, is it just UNICEF in general, or is there a specific part of the charity that you'll be donating to, or... Will the money be going to sort of different parts of UNICEF organization? We're, we're going to let them decide where they want to, you know, disperse it and what, what areas. Uh, you know, we're going to do this one for sure. Um, you know, hopes is, is everybody likes it. It does really well. And then maybe we'll do a second volume. Oh, obviously, we've got two other members of this uh, band, Mask Up. We've got Jeff, who plays drums. Jeff, do you want to obviously let people know what bands that you've previously been in in the past? Uncovered, yeah, yeah. I should say. 
Yeah, absolutely. Um, currently, I still play drums for um, Full Blown Chaos, and um, my project up here is Concrete Ties. Um, and I've, you know, I filled in drums for Emure, Sworn Enemy, you know, countless amounts of bands I've played drums for. So, all drummers do, though, don't they? Every drummer has like twelve bands. We were kind of slutty. <laughs> <laughs> I was, I was gonna, I was gonna mention as well. We um. On a previous uh, episode that we've done, we actually had Ray Chaos, who's uh, singing in um, Brick by Brick, and he was a yeah, it was a it was a blast talking to him. So obviously, we've got someone who's obviously a member of Full Blown Chaos uh, doing his podcast with us now as well. I guess next you're going to have to have Full Blown Chaos on. Yeah, I guess so, yeah. definitely, man. <laughs> you know, we were due to play um, we were due to play a show in London before COVID happened. It was going to be Wisdom in Chains. Yeah, yeah the Wisdom in Chains tour. Yeah, and finally, obviously, there's a few members of this band. We've only had three of them who are on with us today during this uh, podcast piece. Um, we've got Joe Kenny. So some people here in the UK might be familiar with Joe. I mean, he's got an English accent, so obviously that's very familiar. But, um, Joe, what bands was you in previously? In the, or you're still maybe doing? I'm not sure. What band was you previously in? Yeah, so I was previously the vocalist from Pain and Respect, and. Then I filled in for a, a band called Dead Man's Chest on guitar for about a year, and now I'm currently playing guitars in First Blood. Excellent stuff. How did you manage to uh, get hooked up with First Blood? And obviously, I'm sure you toured with them in the past, and so. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. We've been friends like, for many years. Every time that those guys come and played UK and Europe, kind of thing, and we always ended up having a show or a weekend together. So we just got familiar with each other then, and. Her, her, the guitarist like, wasn't up for playing guitars anymore kind of thing So, and I was currently filling in for Dead Man's Chest at the time uh, and it was just uh, the right place at the right time I guess can you play these shows yet and then it's stuck from there because that's, that's the beauty of hardcore man obviously people know each other we can just everyone knows each other yeah, yeah, yeah. Just go and a quick one what happened to Pay No Respect uh, you know I guess all good things have to come to an end, don't they? And uh, it had been about 10 years and just, I guess people have grown up and out of it. You know, people have mortgages and want to move out and get married and this and that. And the less, the, you know, the more time we didn't play show, we just knew, look, one one big, one last tour, end it on a high. And then uh, that's what we did, yeah. 2017 was our last show. So obviously, let's get back to Mask Up. Thanks for letting us, you guys, obviously, tell us about... Um your previous stuff and he's doing so um Chris how did you obviously you had this idea of what you wanted to do so how did you go about getting people to obviously get this band together what was I mean presumably it was obviously mostly internet and hitting people up but what how did you get going in terms of doing this sort of thing in terms of getting the band started so I haven't been in a band in like 15 16 years and you know with with COVID I had a couple shows planned for this year that obviously fell apart uh also last year so I was just mulling it around in my head what can we do you know to to help raise some money this year so I reached out to a friend uh Jeff Cummings from Sworn Anime and wanted to see if he wanted to put something together uh while he had some downtime and he said you know Chris I got so much going on uh, I think he's working with Anthrax he's working with all these bands and he said but have you checked out Joe Kenny's riff sessions on Facebook I said no, I have not. So 
went on there, checked out Joe's work, and, and he is the riff master. And he just had tons and tons of riff sessions on there. And I reached out to Joe and, and never met Joe in my life, never spoke to Joe, but pitched this idea to him. And uh, he was 100% down to do it. Um, after we got that together and basically told him all his riff sessions are now songs for Mask Up, uh, reached out to Jeff. And uh, Je Jeff was totally down to help us record and get some stuff going. Um, Brandon Voorhees from Lionheart, Nasty, Marauder. Uh, he can, he's coming in to you know help out with second guitars and do some leads. And uh, we originally had Rich Thurston from Treason and Terror as the basis, but you know time and life got in the way. So uh, luckily, Mike Pooch from Sworn Enemy uh, hopped on and recorded the bass. Um, for for the EP, and it was just a wild idea that I never thought would actually come to anything. But uh, here we are with a ninety five percent recorded uh, seven song EP, and uh, we're we're dying to get it out. Uh, we're hoping to uh, drop our single, which is "Rage Against the Dying of the Light," featuring uh, Chris Shattered Realm, Suffered a Living. Um, yeah, we're hoping to get that bad boy out in the next month or so. Excellent stuff. You just mentioned, obviously, Chris. Chris is um, going to be doing the guest vocal. You got some other guest vocalists who are going to be have jumped on board as well. Do you want to um, let obviously the audience know who those people will be? Man, it's it's a it's a party. This album, man. Reaching out to everybody and everybody being so interested and in helping out. I mean, like Chris is on the single. You guys had Greg from Denied and All Shall Suffer on here. He's on a track with us. Uh, we got the legendary Stick Man doing a song with us. We got Sal from Sworn Enemy, Ray from, uh, you know, full-blown chaos brick by brick. I mean, it, it's a plethora of who's who, you know, and it's it's a real honor as being a fan of all these guys that they would actually do a song um, song with me to help, you know, get this word out and, and, and just help push this thing along. And it's, I think everybody, it's a little bit of something for everybody. So there's some metal songs, there's some hardcore, there's some hip hop, there's a little bit of everything in it. Uh, so there'll be there'll be a flavor for everybody for sure. So you haven't got one particular style that you've gone with. It's it's just a. Uh... Well, I mean, you know, Joe is writes the heaviest riffs, but I mean, mixing up Jeff's style with some leads and some songs from uh, you know Brandon, and it, it, it's it's not one song sounds like the other one, which is cool because I feel like that'll that there'll be a song for everybody and every style. So. That's pretty cool, man. As you said, that is definitely a um, the, the 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 lineup of what's it called of, of guest vocalists is actually like it's pretty big, man. If if you know who's who in the hardcore metal world, then you'll be like, shit, man. This is like some serious heavy hitters that you've obviously brought on board to help out with a lot of the tracks. But um, I also wanted to quickly ask, how do you guys go around sort of like putting the tune together? Who comes up with the most ideas for riffs or drum fills, etc.? Is it a bit of all he's doing or is one particular person who's driving that process forwards? Yes. Well, go ahead. Yeah, so basically, <laughs> we, um, like, you, like Chris said, I had these riff sessions to start loading. I make like a minute long session while, you know, just to give people on social media something to listen to. So we made them and uh, Chris was like, okay, let's make this project. Uh, who's got any ideas? And I was like, well, I've got like 25 of these one minute riff sessions. Like, so I'll just put all these together and, and make what I can out of it, you know, so. so. So you you basically write the song from start to finish and then the guys add their bits to it. Yeah, yeah, I would say so, yeah. Yeah. Uh, I was going to ask about that. For, for drums and stuff, like, 
because <clears throat> I've had I've had things with like some of my mates who live abroad and whatever where we've said yeah one day we'll just do a fucking international band we'll just put an EP out something like that but when you actually think about it how are you going to get how are you going to get like yeah how are you going to get the drums like written properly and stuff like that so that that kind of interests me how do you like marry it is, it is kind of hard so with these riff sessions I'll just program I'll write a riff and I'll hear in my head a drum beat and I'll just program that beat to it and you know I, I gave the song to Jeff and I was like just do your thing do whatever you want of it because I know that you know he'll smash it so that's basically what he did <laughs> made it 10 times better in my opinion Jeff how was his uh, drum programming out of 10 <laughs> <laughs> well, <laughs> it's funny you ask that because just like any other guitar player that programs drums, they make things somewhat impossible to play. Yeah, 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 yeah. But Joe, Joe kept it pretty real. He kept a lot of stuff that, honestly, I, I would have kept myself anyway. Um, like you know, certain certain hardcore riffs, the drums just are what they are. But it's what makes it unique is when you start doing your fills or maybe a halftime a beat a certain way. But it was it was really interesting process. I've never done anything like this before. And yeah, uh, me too. Like when I heard it back, I was like, I never would have thought of just doing that beat on that riff. And I was like, wow, what a difference. Keep it. Yeah, I know the one you're talking about. People yeah. are gonna be people are gonna be surprised by it. But based on Joe's riffs, it really pushed me out of my 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 comfort zone, so to speak. And um, and because I wasn't just enclosed in a studio with my normal dudes that I normally record with, it really, really pushed me to be as best as I possibly could be. So it was, uh, it was a very interesting process. Did you, um, I'll ask this. So when you add your bit, was you a bit nervous of how you, how you thought the other guys would, um, would hear it? Am I making sense of what I'm saying? So when you added your jump, would you like, are they going to like it? They're not going to like it. Are they going to say they liked it, but where they don't? Yeah, I mean, I mean that's definitely floating in the back of my head, but like, I mean, you know, it it kind of comes down to one of those things where it is what it is. It's like if you want me to play the drums on it, that's just how it's going to be. I mean, it can change stuff <laughs> here, and here and there, but you know, it's uh, sometimes we've recorded something over the internet and then send it to someone, and then they're going, you know, I don't like it. It's almost like I can't just make that last minute adjustment and send it again, you know. Yeah, like, yeah, it is what it is now. Like, and it's and it's you know guitars, and then the bass, and the drums, and the vocals, and it's like everyone's adding their own bits on it. Like, and it's just getting better and better the more we add to it. You know, no, they all knocked it out of the park. I mean, you know, the the, the foundation and base of the songs coming from Joe, and then getting it over to Jeff, where he puts his little spin on it, and and just like he said, pulled himself out of his comfort zone, and and Pooch got in there and just knocked it out, and then Brandon put his own you know, uh, leads and his own little flavor on it. It, it. it couldn't have come together better if we were sitting in front of each other recording it. Um, vocal wise, um, like I said, I haven't been on a record in 15, 16 years. I sound totally different than I did. Um, but it, it's kind of challenging me to make sure that I don't sound like absolute garbage because these guys are top notch, you know, musicians so i'm pushing myself and getting out of my comfort zone a little bit um but then i also had in the back of my head if i have a great guest on every song if i suck they can keep it going you know what i mean <laughs> yeah, I, was, I was literally about to ask you as a fellow vocalist obviously you haven't done it for a while so 
was you feeling a little bit nervous or was you, did you go into go into it feeling, oh, I can do this with a little bit of confidence, knowing that this is obviously an idea that you had in your mind and you're just going to run with it and just see how it comes out? Man, I was shitting. I'm not going to lie. I was, I was nervous because, uh, you know, these guys are working so hard and taking time out of their personal lives to kind of make one of my dreams come true. Um, after I got in there and did a couple quote unquote vocal warmups, I noticed my sound was totally different. So I had to kind of adapt on the fly there. And the way, the way I got comfortable doing it was we have a cover song that we're doing more or less a tribute song. Uh, to a dear friend of mine, Reek from NJ Bloodline. Um, so I led with that song. I knew all the words. It was easy for me to record and kind of warm up to that. And then recording our own songs. I mean, you technically can't do the songs wrong because they're brand new and nobody knows what they're supposed to sound like anyways. But um, after I got through, you know, the tribute song, we're going to do four wins. If you all know who NJ Bloodline is, um, we're going to do a four wins cover. Um it, it, it came it came a lot easier. I still have a couple songs I have to finish, but after I got through that first one, I, I was I was ready to go. So you've uh, said some. Will it be six songs plus the cover, or is it seven songs plus the cover? So it's an intro, six originals, and a cover song. Okay, so so it's, it's yeah, so it's big. Okay, I see. It's getting more for album then, really. Then yeah, getting close, but. Uh, we wanted to, you know, not not throw too much at the first project because, you know, obviously, if people receive this and love this whole project, I mean, I know all the guys would definitely be interested in maybe doing another one in, in a year's time just just to keep, you know, giving back. Going back to the recording quickly, I just went to ask, how do you record it then? So, Jeff, have you got your own drum space? Because guitar, you can, you can record at home, but drums, how, how did you get around doing that? So, so yeah, typically with any any other project I've ever done, drums, I normally, you know, you book your studio time, you just bring your kid in, you get the mics, and it takes, you know, a week just to get everything going, more or less. With this, luckily, I have a couple of friends who have studios, but they don't have necessarily the equipment to run an acoustic kit. So I had an electronic drum set, um, which I've never recorded with before. I've never done anything like that before. Um, so I brought that over to my buddy's spot and we tracked it with an electronic kit. And I mean, it was, I don't know. It went, it went flawless. It was smooth. It was, I might be the way I record for the future. To be honest with you. To be honest, man, when I got, it's not even mixed and mastered yet, but if you would have said, here it is, I wouldn't even question it was a, a kit. I probably wouldn't even have, I probably shouldn't have even said anything that it was an electronic. Yeah. Nobody would have known. Oh, yeah. It's that good. Yeah. So you, so you got the MIDI notes and you're just, you're, you're putting the trigger, the triggering live drum sounds. Yeah. So, yeah, the, the, I forget the program that my buddy has, but it's, um, that death metal drummer, Krim, he did all the samples <clears throat> for it and the drums are really, they're like super, super natural sounding and like they went through a process of, recording different velocities for strikes and stuff like that. So you can actually actually replicate real live playing on my notes. So it was it was a lot better than I had anticipated being. That's interesting. That's really it's interesting. interesting. It's definitely interesting. Uh Joe, you just mentioned about you just mentioned about mixing and mastering. Who is going to be taking part and doing that process? Uh you want to take that, Chris, because you, you personally know the guy. Yeah. yeah. Okay. Yeah, absolutely. Um a very dear friend of mine I've known for shit, I want to say almost 25 years, Scott Gross. 
played guitar for Promoting the Ashes and a couple other bands. Um, he's been mixing, mastering CDs now, and 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 he's such a natural talent. And he was one of the original guitarists I reached out to to do this project because he, but because he's so wrapped up in the engineering and recording process, he he said, Chris, why don't you get some other guys together, and then I will mix, master, and produce it for you as as my contribution to the to the whole thing. And uh, he he is an absolute uh, monster. Like his music, he's done anything from, you know, the guitars from Black Flag to um, Little Peep to, uh, you know, Vampires for Hire, all these different bands. And they all come out flawless. And, um, you know, he's, he's been a really good mentor to me during this whole project, um, giving me some really good advice and different ways to kind of help get me through this process as easy as possible. And uh, he, I can't thank him enough. He, I think everybody's going to be really pleased with the way this album sounds. That's really cool, man. That's, yeah, that's, that's quite that's a list. Cool. Yeah, exactly. From so from the band itself to the people as the guests and the person who's mixed to the mastery. And there's definitely some, some heavyweight, sort of sh- heavyweight shit down in this project. So fair play to you for getting it all, putting it all together, Chris. For real. Do you think you guys will ever get to play together? Is there any chance oh, you could... The one million dollar question. You don't tease me, man. <laughs> this is where um, Steve puts in the drum wall. It's funny because we were, we were just talking about this too. It'd be weird, but I, I feel uh, if, say we did a, a three-day run, like kind of we're talking about like a, a New York, New Jersey, Philly kind of thing. Uh, I think two practices and, and we would be pretty in sync. I mean, these guys are, like I said, they're the most talented people uh, that I've ever worked with. And I've worked with some really, really solid musicians. But I don't think these guys would have a problem syncing right out. It's fun. If we listen to it long enough, I think we'd all probably nail it on the first take. <laughs> you remember it. You know? I, think, I, think, I think also, like, the level of musicianship that each member has individually it wouldn't take us more than one rehearsal to be like, all right, yeah, yeah we can, yeah. let's fucking, let's, 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 let's nail it. That's, yeah. I, 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 I believe that you guys would definitely pull it off because um, just a quick story. We, uh, we, the three of us are in, in a band called Ironed Out and uh, before we went on tour last year, um, with Full Blo- not last year, a couple of years ago, with Full Blown Chaos, Marble, Dead Before the Sun. And uh, yeah, Brick by Brick, sorry. Uh, and a few other bands. I got mixed up there because I just had raised head, the face in my, my head. But, yeah, as I was, what as, a face, yeah, too. What yeah, a face. He's got a big beard in his face, man. But as I was saying, our drum, our drummer, we, um, I think we had like, a, how many practices did we have with him? Yeah, like a couple of practices. Lewis, it was only about three or four, I think, wasn't it? What yeah, we didn't, we didn't have that many practices with him, but his first show with us was the first show of the tour. And we'd done 10, 10 dates after that. So obviously, if you guys manage to actually get this band together and do a few shows in the Tri-State area, and obviously New Jersey, uh, PA, and New York, obviously you'll have three days to be together. Then by the third show, you'd be like, oh shit, okay, we can do this now. But yeah, after 10 days of being together, it was down and, and we nailed it. So I think it could definitely happen. It could definitely work. Yeah, that's right, man. That's right, yeah. Yeah. You'd have to move I to America. Had- Joe. I had mentioned yeah, the tri-state area and also do a London show for Joe. Keep it local. All you guys fly over here, then yeah. have to ask me twice. I will be on the first flight out. <laughs> <laughs> we're gonna have to get a GoFundMe together for Joe's airplane ticket. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Joe in America. <laughs> Is there anything in the pipeline for a video? 
Um, it'd be cool. Maybe like even a video in your, in your own little spots. Yeah, I mean, I mean, anything at, at this stage of the game, anything's possible. You know, we're thinking about doing merch. Um, we're actually going to be working with. Uh, we're, we're not really putting this too far out there yet, but Upstate Records is going to be helping us get this thing out. Um, and I've been collaborating with Mario for a little while now on on what would be a good strategy on how to how to do this whole thing. And uh, he, he's been he's been absolutely great. He's been putting out so, so many bangers over the last couple of years here. His idea would be, you know, you know, drop a few singles before the EP, maybe some lyric videos, things like that. But if we ever could get the guys together, uh, I would definitely have that thing professionally recorded so we can have that as something that would be available for download that would also go to charity. Yeah, I don't know the guy personally who does Upstate, but obviously... I follow his page on um, on Facebook and I think Instagram as well, but just the amount of bands that he seems to have on and he does a lot of comps and stuff. So he has been putting in the work in terms of getting his label up and running and people have taken notice. I think they've even now got a little um, subsidiary here in Europe as well, which is taking care of doing some things because uh, the band Bushido Codes has literally just released an album called The Ronin. So um, yeah, fair play to Upstate Records. If you... And if if it if it does happen, obviously if you guys have been just talking at the moment, so that'd be a great thing if it did happen with them. I'm I'm just looking at this this uh lineup of all the different people that you got involved and I'm just thinking that's got package tour written all over it, man. Oh of course. <laughs> that's that's what I said. Yeah, I mean me and Chris was talking about it in the previous podcast. It's got this is hardcore fest written all over it. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, every band plays and then we do the mask up yeah, that'd, be yeah, that'd be really good man that's I think really a, a package store on a tour bus for Europe would, would, would definitely yeah, yeah. work man it would like just with the names of the band there would be a lot of people who would pay attention to that would Mask Up is the opener and it's every member from the bands that are playing afterwards. Absolutely. Two sets of the Mask Up stuff. Yeah, that's it. It's yeah. pretty tough. <laughs> <laughs> do, you, do you have a, a, um, a date of when things are going to be coming out or is it still a little bit unsure at the moment? Well, we're, we're a little we're a little on the fence about dates and stuff like that. Like like Mario was saying, we, we should probably get the single out first, and then maybe follow with a second one before the EP drops. But the full thing will definitely be out by summer. Definitely. Oh, excellent! I think we're looking at doing maybe a lyric video for the first one. Absolutely. So that yeah. drop as a video first on the on the first single, yeah. Then maybe another video after that. We'll figure it out. That's the that's the way of hardcore now, man. Everyone's got to do videos now just to. Uh, it's not like back in the day where it was just like social media. exactly your CD or your your vinyl can like just get you the shows and whatnot. Like now you need to be more visual of what you're going to be doing. Well, yeah, even more so if we're not a touring yeah. band, it's all just going to be based around social media. That's it, man. It's just just the way of the game, how it is now. It's not it's not hate. It's just how it is now, isn't it? Yeah. But anyway, does you do you guys want to do any shout outs? Obviously, we're coming to the end of this now. Is there anyone who you particularly want to thank? Is there any information that people should be checking out and knowing about? Obviously, put any news on on the band and when things are going to be coming out. Well, we we definitely we got you know the Instagram and the Facebook. You know, uh, check us out on there, like us, follow us. Uh, I, there's there's so many people to thank. You know, everybody in this band. I think personally, you know, like I said, for taking their time out and, and doing this project and and trying to do some good. I mean, from the band members to the guests, to, to Scott, to Mario, to all those guys, 
Um, you know, we just, we just want everybody, you know, keep your ears peeled, you know, um, you know, when this thing hits, just make sure that you're, you're telling a friend who tells a friend who tells a friend, you know? So just want to say finally a massive shout out to mask up. We've got Chris, we've got Jeff and we've got Joe from the band. And hopefully their music will be their Their release will be coming out sometime in the summer. No dates been put forward as yet. We thank you guys for coming on. Obviously just like a little brief sort of chat and, and introduction to you guys, but I'm sure people who are listening are going to be well aware and they're going to be excited to hear what you guys are doing. And of course, as we've been talking about all anything that is obviously made is going to be contributed and donated to UNICEF, which is obviously a fantastic idea and something which you guys should be proud of. Definitely. Yeah. And we, we thank you guys big time for, you know, because of podcasts and, and things like this and like your show, uh, we can get the word out and uh, we are completely uh, grateful obviously for your time and, and having us on it'd be cool once it drops to um get you on again we we would yeah, love cool, to man. Have the songs yeah that's it a, a little deep dive into what the songs and that are about etc that will be something which would be cool so we watch this space isn't it cool, yeah absolutely we really appreciate it, guys. No, thank you man alright guys thank you very much that was the everyone but us podcast so thank you very much guys and enjoy the rest of your days. Peace. You're listening to the Everyone But Us podcast, straight from the heart of London.